Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we want to thank you today for your presence in this place. We want to thank you for Jesus. And Lord, it's by Jesus that we have access and by one spirit to the Father. And Lord, we're just grateful for the time we have. We thank you for your presence and your power and your peace. And Lord, thank you for revealing your truth to our hearts and speaking to lives. And Lord, even just directing us today regarding our purpose and our destiny in the earth. Lord, we're not here by accident and we're not here without cause. Father, help us to see who we are and and what we're here for. And Father, of course, thank you for helping us to see you and your love and your purpose and your power more clearly than ever before. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, it is a joy to be with you. Uh, Lisa and I have always loved our times here in Seacock going way, way, way back. And um, just exciting to see the good things going on. Uh, We want to take a minute and just say thank you before we dive into the Word of God because uh, for the longest time, you guys have been so faithful to help us and support us. You know, every month like clockwork, uh, you all send a, a gift of support to help us in our ministry, and we want to thank you. And uh, I just want to take a quick minute and show you a couple of the places we got to go to last year uh, just in some of our travels. Could we go ahead with um, some of those pictures? That just looks like a road somewhere, but that is actually the Appian Way in Rome. Uh, Lisa and I got to go to Rome last August and spend a week there and uh, predominantly visiting biblical sites, historical sites, and uh, that are very much a part of our church history. Uh, This is the road that the Apostle Paul walked on uh, to come into Rome after the shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, and uh, he would have been in chains uh, on this road. He was a prisoner at this time, but this is the very road that he walked on. The next picture uh, is showing us, it's a little bit hard to see because it's dark, but that is the prison that Paul was in. Uh, it, it's um, right in the, near the old Senate building in ancient Rome, and Paul and Peter would have both been in this. It's actually more of a pit than anything else, and uh, actually it was designed uh, for kind of maximum humiliation because in this pit, when they got rain in Rome, uh, sewage would come in there, and the prisoners would literally sit in the sewage. Uh, there were no stairs into it at that time. They would lower the prisoners in through a hole in the uh, ceiling of, of this particular uh, prison or pit. And, um, and, and this is where Paul would have written Second Timothy. Uh, if you ever uh, take time to read Second Timothy, it was in this uh, very dismal setting. Uh, that he would have written it, probably chained to a pillar like you see against the one wall. Uh, Also, the next slide is uh, a statue of the Apostle Paul, and I'm standing kind of in front of it uh, just to give you an idea of of how large that statue is. People ask, did Paul really look like that? Uh, Nobody knows what he looked like, but I like it when the artists make him look tough. Uh, I like it when they make the preacher look like John Wayne or Charlton Heston. You know, rather than Wally Cox. So, um, anyway, so that's a, that's a, the Basilica of Saint Paul, and inside that church, that's outside of Rome a little bit. Uh, that is where the Apostle Paul is actually buried. And next slide shows a close up um, of of his burial place uh, that was just open to the public in 2006. Uh, until that time, it was kept back. 
kind of behind an altar. You couldn't see it, but they've opened it up. They put that steel grate in there. And that, uh, I assume in Italian or Latin, says sarcophagus of St. Paul, the wording that's a little bit obscured there. The very next slide uh, shows the Arch of Titus in ancient Rome that is very, very close to the Colosseum that everybody is familiar with. What symbol do you see in that uh, relief, that uh, sculpting? You see the menorah. And uh, this uh, sculpting was done in around the year 80 AD, and it was to commemorate the victory of Titus uh, when he destroyed the city of Rome, uh, Jerusalem rather, and they destroyed the temple. They took all the treasures of the temple and uh, actually used that gold uh, melted it down, sold it, and that was part of what financed the building of the Colosseum. But there are some people that debate and dispute, well, did Jerusalem really have a temple? And, you know, just crazy arguments. But this kind of is uh, pretty good ironclad, uh, etched in stone proof. Uh, the Romans declared way back when that they had conquered Jerusalem and so on. The next picture is uh, from when Lisa and I were in Russia Last August, right after we were in Rome, uh, we preached 21 times there, and they were very kind. They translated one of our books into the Russian language, and we were there with uh, Rick and Denise Renner, if you know them, and had a great time of ministry there for a week in Russia. And then the next two pictures are going to be, that is the theater in ancient Ephesus. If you remember in Acts chapter 19, they had a big riot uh, where they were mad at Paul because the gospel... Uh, he preached. So many people had gotten saved that they quit buying the silver shrines, the uh, little idols to the goddess Artemis. And uh, the, the people of Ephesus filled that uh, uh, theater up that seated around twenty four to 25,000 people. And they were protesting the gospel. They were protesting Paul's ministry. And uh, Paul wanted to go in there to speak, but his friends would not let him because, you know, they believed he probably would have been killed if he'd gone in there. And the next picture is the same group that we took. We took a group of about 30 pastors, and uh, that's the ancient library in Ephesus. So those are, are some of the places we went last year. The next slide uh, actually just shows you a quick picture of the countries. Uh, that we've been able to preach in and uh, you've been able to help send us to those through your support. And then one of the outreaches that we really take uh, a lot of interest in, the next slide shows uh, our website last year, 2013, our website, which is geared toward providing resources and materials to help pastors and missionaries, uh, reached 194,000 people in 214 nations and territories. And so we love our website being able to uh, get materials, resources, uh, messages, articles, outlines, especially that help train some of the uh, pastors in developing nations because we can minister to them and not come back home with jet lag. So um, we enjoy going, but we also enjoy sending the material. And we just want to thank you. And thank you, Pastor John and Anita and the whole church family because you're part of helping us do that. We really, really appreciate that. Uh, I want to share with you today, and what we share and begin today, we're going to pick up on tonight and then also Monday night. There's going to be a continuum in what we share. Today we're just going to introduce part of the thought. But I want to begin this message by sharing something that happened to us a couple of years ago. Uh, we were preaching in Indonesia. That was my very first time to be there. And um, uh, 
Indonesia is the most populous Muslim nation in the world. And I really wanted to be a blessing to these believers because I know that they face some challenges maybe that you and I have never faced in, in walking out our faith. And just really wanted to be a blessing to them. And, and during the course of the message, of course, I'm working through an interpreter. So uh, as you preach, you're kind of depending on the interpreter to accurately convey what you say. And um, uh, I, I was making a simple point that everybody here would know and understand. I was making the simple point that in life, all of us face problems. How many of you know that's true? doesn't matter how spiritual you are or unspiritual you are. If you live in this world, you're going to deal with some, some of the problems of this world. And I was just trying to make a contrasting statement, uh, communicate what we call a hypothetical in the message. And I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of this message I could pray a miracle prayer? And because of the prayer that I would pray over the entire congregation, God would bless every single person here with a trouble-free life. Because of that prayer and the anointing and the faith uh, in that prayer, uh, you would never face another problem again as long as you live. When I made that statement and the interpreter interpreted that statement, the crowd got very, very excited. And I realized something had been lost in the translation. And what happened was the, the translator, the interpreter, missed the hypothetical component of that. And so what came out to this congregation was at the end of this message, Brother Cook is going to pray a miracle prayer over this entire congregation. And because of that prayer, God is going to bless every single person here with a trouble-free life. And because of the great faith and the great anointing in that prayer, you will never face another problem again as long as you live. Now, how many of you know that's a, a far cry from wouldn't it be wonderful if? And they, they missed the hypothetical. They missed the big if part of it. And I just realized, wait a minute, their excitement and their response does not... Um, you know, line up with the, the reality of the statement that I made because uh, my statement really was kind of a down-to-earth, realistic assessment. Certainly didn't project some hyper-idealistic, wishful thinking view of life. Uh, but let me ask you this. How many of you wish that I could pray a prayer for you today and uh, because of that prayer, you would now live a trouble-free life? And you would never face another problem again as long as you live. Well, the people were so excited and I just hated to do it. But, but you know, I'm responsible to not mislead people and I'm responsible to communicate truth clearly. I'll stand before God and give an account of that. And, and I want to hear him say, well done. I don't want to hear him say, what were you thinking? Um, <laughs> You know, and you made ridiculous statements and things of that nature. So, so I had to um, kind of, uh, as gently as possible, kind of pop that balloon. And so I said, L let me make sure we, we are understanding, uh, you know, each other. And I said, I need to take you and show you a couple scriptures. Because I did not mean to imply that I could actually do that. I was saying, wouldn't it be wonderful if, and, and everybody got quiet then, and they are kind of let down and disappointed, but they were either going to be disappointed then or on Monday morning, uh, one of the two, 
And so I figured, let's at least, you know, let them down gently. So I took them, one of the verses I took them to was to Psalm 34 and verse 19. How many of you know the Bible is a realistic book? Uh, The Bible does not make uh, inflated promises. The Bible is not full of hyper-idealism or wishful thinking. The Bible is realistic. But how many of you know that God's realism is a pretty awesome realism? It doesn't get us into denial. It doesn't take us to a place where we deny the realities of life. What the Bible does is communicate to us that there is a God who is greater than any natural reality that we will ever face. And Psalm 34, 19 seems to start out negative, but I want you to notice the turn. Psalm 34, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We don't like hearing that, but, you know, David was telling the truth. Uh, even if you are righteous, and how many, of you, how many of you here today are comfortable telling me, Brother Cook, I'm righteous. Let me see your hand. You're comfortable saying, I'm righteous. Now, there may be some folks you're not real comfortable saying that because you think that if you say you're righteous, that you're bragging on yourself. You think that you'd be saying that you're perfect or that you never make a mistake or that, you know, that type of thing. And, and when we declare, according to the Bible, that we are righteous, we are not bragging on ourselves in any way. When we declare that we are righteous, what we're saying is we know that we were not righteous. We know what the Bible says is true, that we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. But what we believe is that Jesus Christ came to this earth lived a perfect and sinless life, and he went to the cross, and on that cross, he shed his blood and died for us so that when he rose from the dead, he had taken out of the way the penalty and the punishment and the guilt and the condemnation of our sin, and he gave to us, when we put our faith in him, he gave to us the gift. Everybody say the gift. He gave to us the gift of righteousness. So when we say we're righteous, we're not bragging on ourselves. We're bragging on Jesus. That he gave us a gift that we could never earn or deserve on our own. He gave us a gift of forgiveness, a gift of righteousness. He paid the ultimate cost, the ultimate price of his own life and his own blood so that you and I could be forgiven and stand here today righteous in the sight of God, not based on what we've done, but based on what he's done. But the Bible even says many are the afflictions of the righteous. In other words, if you're in this world, you're going to go through some junk, but aren't you glad for the second part of the verse? But the Lord delivers him out of them all. So reality check is this. The Bible doesn't promise us that we're never going to face any bumps in the road. Matter of fact, the Bible just tells us we are going to face some challenges, but there's nothing that you and I are ever going to face that is greater than our God. There's nothing that we're ever going to face that catches him by surprise. God has a bigger answer for you than whatever problem the enemy or the world throws your direction. God is bigger, God is greater. And you may face some afflictions, but the Lord has promised he will deliver us out of them all. The second verse I took this uh, wonderful group of Indonesian believers to uh, is found in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Uh, 
Jesus made really a very similar statement uh, to his disciples. Jesus said this in John 16, 33. He said, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. How many of you know if you're going to have peace in this world, you'd better find it in Jesus because the world doesn't have any peace to give you. Uh, matter of fact, the world will give you all kinds of other stuff. Jesus said, in the world, you will have tribulation. That just means difficulties, challenges, tests, trials. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus, like the book of Psalms, also tells us that we're going to face challenges in the world, but to be of good cheer. And so our faith today, our confidence today, is not in the idea of some kind of trouble-free life. Our, I, our faith and our peace today, our confidence, is in a God who is bigger than anything the world can ever send our way. Now, one of the terms that, that we often use, and, and this is used secularly as well as spiritually, but people will talk about storms. Uh, you know, this has been quite a winter, hasn't it? Uh, people will talk about uh, blizzards and snowstorms and ice storms and, and things like that. Our, our friends down in Florida, you know, who are uh, kind of laughing at us uh, in the north, you know, they face their seasons where they may have threat of hurricane. And um, uh, my wife and I, we've lived uh, 35, we'll be married 35 years this June, and we spent all that time in Oklahoma. And uh, guess what? We get to watch for once in a while. Uh, tornadoes. We're in the part of the country called Tornado Alley. And so we understand, naturally speaking, that there are different kinds of storms. And, and, and there's different causes for the different kinds of storms. And there's different things that you do to protect yourself. My wife has never called up to me if I'm in my study and said, Tony, you'd better come downstairs. Uh, there's a tornado on the ground in our area. I have never said to her, oh, honey, it's okay. I've got a snow shovel in the garage. Because snow shovels don't do anything against tornadoes. They're great if you get some snow. But um, they don't do anything. And there's different things that you do to prepare for and and protect yourself against different types of storms in the natural. And one thing that we're going to see from the Bible is that there's different types of storms, spiritually speaking, that we face. And I want to talk to you this morning about three types of storms that you and I, uh, during the course of our life, might face, uh, or, or people that we love might face uh, some of these different types of storms. And the first storm that we're going to talk about is a storm that took place in the Old Testament in the book of Jonah. As a matter of fact, it happened to the central character of that book. It happened to Jonah. Now, how many of you grew up in Sunday school or vacation Bible school or you grew up in church and you, you've heard the story of Jonah maybe a handful of times in your life at least? You feel like you know that story pretty well. Uh, Jonah... And if you want to turn back to that book in the Old Testament, uh, that might be the part of your Bible where the pages kind of stick together. That's one way to find it uh, because we don't typically do a lot of reading in the Minor Prophets, but Jonah's a very important book. Um, God told Jonah, he was an Old Testament prophet, and God told him to go somewhere. Does anybody remember where God 
told him to go? To a place called Nineveh. Now, a lot of people never take time to find out where these different biblical places are, but Nineveh today, the the ancient city of Nineveh, is in the modern nation of Iraq. And it was uh, right outside, is right outside, the modern city of Mosul in northern Iraq. And you may have heard of that. Um, And at that time, Nineveh was the head, uh, the capital of what was known as the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrian Empire, like, and you study the history, there were times when the Egyptians were kind of the dominant group. There were times when the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks, but there was a time when the Assyrians were kind of the big bad guy on the block. And they were kind of dominant, and and Israel and Nineveh were bitter enemies. And so God told Jonah to go to the capital of their enemy city, and here's what God said. Uh, I've seen their sin, their wickedness is very great, and if you, if you go and preach to them and they repent, uh, they will be spared. But if you don't go preach and if they don't repent, they will be destroyed. Judgment will come on them. Well, it, it, it's... Maybe this is a little too extreme, but it'd be kind of like an American preacher being told during World War II, uh, go to Berlin and preach to the Nazis. And if you don't go there, they're going to be destroyed. You know what Jonah did when God said, you need to go preach to Nineveh? If you don't go preach to them, they're going to be destroyed. He got on a boat heading to a place called Tarshish. You say, where's that? Well, that's modern-day Spain. Now, if you know the map, God told Jonah, basically, I I just want you to go a little bit uh, north and east and preach. And Jonah gets on a boat going due west as far as he can possibly go. And when Jonah got on that boat, do you remember what happened? He got into a great storm. And that storm, he, and he told the people on the boat, uh, just so you'll know, I'm running away from God. It's one thing to run away from God. It's another thing to advertise it. It's another thing to brag about it. And I want you to notice, if you have your Bibles in Jonah chapter 1, verse 17... I want you to look at what happened because Jonah, because he had told everybody on the boat that he was running away from God uh, when this storm happened and they were fearful and superstitious, so they throw him overboard. And you say, that's not good. Well, no, it's not good to be thrown overboard out in the middle of the Mediterranean. But um, it says in Jonah 1.17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I just want you to pause and think about that a minute. Uh, You guys, you have the best seafood in the world up here. Uh, My wife and I, we grew up in north central Indiana. And all we ever had was, well, we had uh, Mrs. Paul's fish sticks. Is that what we had there? And uh, that, that to us was seafood. And that was about all we ever had until, you know, we got up and got out of Indiana. 
But uh, you all have just such marvelous seafood up here. But I grew up in the Midwest. We had farms all around us. And uh, I just wasn't, you know, fish was just kind of a foreign thing to me. And so um, I just grew up, and you may think if you're, a, if you're a hardy fisherman and all that, you know, you may think I'm a real sissy. But just, you know, just fish in general just are kind of, you know, I wouldn't really like to touch fish a lot. Um, I just, they're kind of gross until they're, until they're grilled or blackened or something like that. But can you imagine literally what it would be like to go down the throat of a fish, swallowed by it? And that's had to be a huge fish. And you're sitting literally inside the stomach of a fish. And you are sitting there in, in gastric juices and the odor. And you've got other things around you. And number one, it's pitch dark. You can't see anything. Stuff is bumping up against you. Um, and Jonah talked about having seaweed wrapped around his head. And can you imagine how absolutely detestable that would have been to be inside of a fish for three days and three nights? What amazes me is, you know, when you stop and think about the fact that the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verses, that those were added later just to help us read it. Here, what the Bible says was this, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And the next verse says, then Jonah prayed. He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then he prayed. And my thing is, really, does it take three days and three nights before you decide you're going to quit rebelling against God? Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever done something and you know that, that because of what you did, you dealt with consequences of what you did? Um, you know, I've done things like that. I mean, at one time working with a power tool, I won't go into it, but I did something really dumb with a power tool and kind of ripped my hand open. And, and uh, it's just because I didn't respect the tool and I, I misused it. I tried to do something with it I shouldn't have and, you know, ripped my hand up. Well, I can't blame God for that. How many of you remember the old song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus? Do you remember that song? Um, part of the, the, one of the lines in there is, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. And I don't know about you, but I have found there's enough normal routine pain in life. I don't want to deal with the needless pain. Jonah got into his storm because of what? Disobedience, rebellion. And you know what though? When he prayed, and this is the cool thing, when he prayed, the Bible says that God, I won't go into all the details, but God got him out of the fish. And you know what? When he got out of the fish, you know what happened? The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah said, I think I will. <laughs> Jonah got into his storm very simply because of disobedience. And he got out of his storm by repentance. He, he turned his heart back to God. And he basically said in that prayer, I will, uh, I will fulfill the vows that I have made to you, God. 
See, he had made vows earlier in his life. God, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll go where you want me to go. Lord, I'm your vessel like we sang today. Lord, use me. You know, I present myself to you. Use me. And, but Jonah had gotten away from that vow that he had made to God, that commitment he had made from God. Now, the problem with this story is that some people think that every storm we face in life is a Jonah storm. And the truth of the matter is, not every storm that we get into is based on us doing something wrong. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. And I want to look at another storm that happened in the Bible. Have you ever gotten into a, a problem and thought to God, God, what did I do wrong? See, if you have a belief in your life that anytime something negative happens to you, it's automatically assurance that you did something wrong, that is not right. That is unbiblical. Uh, I'm going to tell you what, there's, there's two times in your life when you can get into trouble. One is when you're out of the will of God. The other is when you're in the will of God. Trouble can come at any time simply because we're in this world. Now, in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35, we're going to look at the storm, what we call the storm of the disciples. Uh, the disciples got into a storm, and here's the context. Uh, Jesus had been preaching all day long right by the Sea of Galilee, and it says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, meaning filling with water. But he, Jesus, was in the stern or the back of the boat asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now let's talk about this storm in particular. Jesus said, what did he say to his disciples? He said, let us cross over to the other side. And what did they do? They, they left the multitude and they put Jesus in the boat and they all got in the boat and some other little boat and they headed across to the other side. Now question, were they doing what Jesus told them to do? If they were doing what Jesus told them to do, are they out of the will of God or in the will of God? They're in the will of God. They're doing exactly what Jesus said to do and yet what happened? A great wind storm arose. That's why I'm saying Jonah got into his storm in the middle of his disobedience, but the disciples got into their storm in the midst of perfect obedience. Now, Jesus must have been a very sound sleeper because this storm was scaring professional fishermen and Jesus was asleep. They woke Jesus up and, and what they said to Jesus is very revealing. You know, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what they said to Jesus is, it represents two things that we're often tempted to think 
when we face a crisis or when we face a problem. The first thing they said to Jesus is, don't you care? And I'm going to tell you what, when you face a crisis, when you face a problem, you have to resist the temptation of thinking that because of this problem, God doesn't love you. Don't ever interpret the love of God in the light of a circumstance. God, if you love me, this wouldn't be happening. Not true. God loves you. The second thing that they said that reveals where they were at is, uh, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? See, they already had themselves dead and buried. When, when you face a problem, it's easy for your mind to run that thing out to the worst case scenario to the worst case outcome. It's called catastrophic thinking. They were already projecting doom and gloom over their lives. They thought God did not care and they thought they were done for. And Jesus got up. What did he do? It's interesting what Jesus did and what he did not do. What Jesus did was he got up and he spoke to a storm. He spoke to waves. He spoke to the wind. Now, some people would think that, you know, that's kind of crazy. You go talking to things and all that. But, you know, the Bible is full of, of, of verses about the words that we speak. And Jesus said that, who, that if you will speak to a mountain and command it to be removed and cast into the sea and not doubt in your heart, but you believe those things that you say will come to pass you will have whatever you say. And there is a lot to be said for speaking to things. Uh, Sometimes you need to speak to yourself. Sometimes you need to talk to the storm inside of you. Sometimes you just need to talk to your body. Anybody here this morning have to talk to your body to get it out of bed this morning? When the alarm went off, did your body talk to you? Anybody here talk back to your body? See, you have to present your body to God a living sacrifice. It won't present itself. I'll tell you what your body wanted to do today. Your body wanted to go to St. Mattress of the Springs. That's what your body wanted to do. But you had to talk to your body and say, Carcass, get out of bed. You're going to church, and when you get there, you're going you're gonna to lift up your hands, and you're going to worship God. And when you get there, you're going to reach in your wallet, and you're going to give God your tithes and offerings. Body, you're going to do these things. And you're going to smile and, and be glad that you're there. You have to talk to yourself sometimes. Sometimes you have to talk to circumstances. Because I'm telling you, circumstances are always talking to you, and you need to learn to talk back to things in life. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And sometimes we just we need to say, devil, take your hands off my money. Devil, take your hands off my family. And, and speak. Jesus, they got into their storm in the midst of perfect obedience. And they got out of their storm because Jesus spoke with spiritual authority. And you can speak with spiritual authority about events and things and circumstances in your life. Things are always talking to you negatively. You better learn to talk back to things 
positively, speak to things. And so what Jesus did not say, though, is very interesting. What Jesus did not say, he did not get up and look around at the storm and say, all right, which one of you sinned? Surely somebody here on this boat, you must have sinned. And you know, Jesus didn't assume that for a problem to come that somebody had to have sinned. And here's another thing. This is very interesting what Jesus did not say is Jesus didn't stand up, look around and say, well, God must have sent this storm to teach us something. See, just like there's some people who believe that every, every storm, every adversity, every challenge is based on sin, there's also people that believe another false idea, and that is that every time something negative happens, that God is sending that negative thing to teach you a lesson. Well, Jesus didn't say, well, God has sent us this storm, so let's sit back and be spiritually passive and see what God wants us to to teach us from this. Jesus got up and he rebuked the storm. If God had sent the storm and Jesus rebuked it, then he would have been rebuking God. We need to understand, not everything that happens in life is a gift from God. The Bible says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We need to know what's from God and what's not. And if it's, if it's something that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, then we don't say, oh, God, thank you that you've sent me this wonderful gift. No, we, we do what Jesus did. See, here's the thing. God told Jonah to go where? To Nineveh. The point is that Jonah had a destination. And Jesus said, let us go over to the other side. Now, do you know what they ran into when they got to the other side? The madman of Gadara. There was a man there that the Bible says was horribly demon-possessed, horribly tormented, uh, you can read the description. It's a, it's a terrible description of a man whose life had been destroyed by demonic power and demonic influence. And Jesus was on a mission. Everybody say a mission. Jesus was on a mission to set that man free. Jonah reluctantly was on a mission to give good news to the Ninevites that you don't have to be destroyed. You can repent. You can turn from your sin. And, and the point of these stories is really not the storm, but it was their assignment. It was their mission. It was their destiny. And so, help me out here. Jonah got into his storm because of what? Disobedience. Jonah got out of his storm by repentance. Uh, the disciples got into their storm in the midst of what? Perfect obedience, and they got out of their storm because words were spoken. Spiritual authority was exercised. Now, I want to show you a third type of storm. In Acts chapter 27, you remember we showed you that picture of the Appian Way that Paul walked on to walk into Rome? Well, let me show you in the Bible what happened before he got to walk into Rome on the Appian Way. Paul had been arrested, I believe it was back in Acts chapter 21, 
You remember what Paul was arrested for in Jerusalem? Anybody remember? Preaching the gospel. He was preaching in Jerusalem. They didn't like it. They arrested him. He actually spent a few years in prison there. And he was going to have a trial. He'd had a couple little trials. But uh, he realized that because it was going to be a religious trial, that he would do better in a secular court. And so he appealed his case under the law back then because Paul was both Jewish and a Roman citizen. Uh, He was arrested in a Jewish setting, but he appealed his case to the Roman authorities. Actually, he appealed to Caesar. And what that meant was they had a change of venue. Uh, He went from court in in Israel, and now it was the Roman, the Romans occupied and ran everything back then. They were the dominant territorial uh, power. And so it was now the Roman authorities' responsibility to take Paul from the Jewish court system all the way to Rome where he could stand trial under the Roman court system before Caesar. And so he is being transported as a prisoner. And so far where we come in Acts 27, uh, they have made it out to an island called Crete. And they're traveling by boat. They're traveling by ship. And it says in Acts chapter 27 verse 9, it says, And Paul advised them. That's at the end of the verse. Paul advised them. Now, can I just tell you something? When you're a prisoner... Nobody cares about your advice. You know what I'm talking about? But Paul was a leader and, and he was going to give his opinion. He was, a, he was an alpha male. He was a type A personality. And so Paul the prisoner says, let me tell you guys what's going on here. Paul advises them and here's what he says. He says, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster And much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Now, question, where's Paul get off giving them advice about the weather and about the ship? What does Paul know about sailing? He's a a Jewish tent maker. He's not a mariner. He's not a sailor. And he certainly didn't have a degree in meteorology to know the weather patterns or anything like that. But Paul says, I perceive that this voyage will end with danger and much loss, not only of the ship, but also of our life. Where does Paul get off saying that? From God. Paul was not a sailor. He was not a weatherman. But you know what? He knew how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Holy Spirit is something. Paul, he was mature in that. So now when the preacher says, gentlemen, we shouldn't sail, this is going to be dangerous, certainly everybody listened to him, right? Well, let's see what happened. Verse 10 or 11, nevertheless, the centurion, that's the Roman authority, was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority, everybody say the majority. The majority advised to set sail from there also. You think the majority is always right? No. 
You know what happened? They, they set sail. Paul was saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. They set sail, and the first day or so, they had just beautiful weather. And everybody was probably saying, Paul, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. Beautiful weather. Well, they got just far enough away that when the storm hit, they were in big trouble. And you can take time to read this on your own, but let me tell you what happened. They spent 14 days in a horrible, horrible storm, and everybody thought they were going to die. It was a terrible storm. Now, those pictures we showed you, uh, one of those pictures you saw standing in front of the library in Ephesus, um, was it the day before or day after? It doesn't matter, but from Ephesus, this is last March, from Ephesus, we took our group of 30 people. We got on a small 87-foot boat. And from the port near Ephesus, we took our group on a 40-mile boat ride out to the island of Patmos where John was captive and wrote the book of Revelation. The four-hour boat ride that we were on, the waters were very uh, rough that day. And practically everybody on our boat was very, very sick. Um, I called it our Old Testament journey because there were a lot of heave offerings (laughs) going forth. Um, I was among the afflicted. And um, I'm telling you, four hours on that boat were just horrible, miserable. And some of the people on our boat were just miserable for hours and hours after we got off the boat on the island of Patmos. These guys were in this storm for 14 days and 14 nights. And I can't imagine what that would have been like. Um, We read in Acts chapter 27 verse 20, it says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. There was hopelessness on that boat. But after long abstinence from food, I, I understand that part. After long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in their midst and said to them, Men, you should have listened to me. Isn't that great? How do we say that today? I told you so. Don't always say that. That's not all. Sometimes that'll get you in trouble. But Paul had the leverage. He had the authority. And he said, men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life, but only of the ship. Notice Paul apparently had prayed for the people. And he couldn't prevent the full loss, but he was able to keep through prayer. He was able to get people where they weren't going to die. And he says, For there stood by me this night the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, now notice this next part, And indeed, God has granted you That's why I believe Paul had been praying. God has granted you 
all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Jonah got into his storm because of disobedience. The disciples got into their storm in the midst of perfect obedience. Paul, listen to this, he got into his storm because of the disobedience of others. Do you see that in the Bible? He got into his storm because of the disobedience of others. Now, what's interesting to me, I don't know everything. What's interesting to me is that Jesus, when he spoke to the storm, it stopped immediately. Paul, he was a man that knew how to be led by the Spirit. But this thing took a long time. You say, well, 14 days isn't too long. It is if you're on that boat. How many of you, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you were in a problem and you prayed and God answered immediately? Let me see your hand if you've ever seen an immediate answer to prayer. Hold your hand up real high. Look all around, those of you that are sitting up. There's a lot of people here that have had an immediate answer to prayer. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awesome? Um, Now, in Paul's case, it took a while. Now, how many of you would like for me to tell you how to always get an immediate answer to prayer? How many of you would like me to tell you that this morning? I'm going to tell you that right after I pray that you have a trouble-free life. Because I have no idea how to tell you to do that. How many of you here, seriously, how many of you here... How many of you thought you were about to get something really good? Um, How many of you here have had a situation that you faced that ended up being more like the Paul situation where you had to kind of ride the storm out, but over time you saw a divine working and a divine... Let me see your hand on there. See a whole lot of folks. Now, let me tell you what. If I get to choose... I'm going to take the immediate answer every time. I can't tell you exactly why sometimes... It's, it's kind of like Joyce Meyer, though, said. She said, everybody wants a drive through breakthrough. And we Americans are not known as being the most patient people on earth. You know that. And I seriously, I really wish I could tell you how to always get an immediate, instantaneous... But here's what I do know. I know that... Uh, the Bible says God will deliver us. I know that Jesus said you'll have tribulation, but he's overcome the world and to take good, take cheer, take heart. But in Paul's situation, you know, Jonah got out of his storm through repentance and the disciples got out of their storm through the word of faith, a spiritual authority being exercised, the word of faith being spoken. Paul got out of his storm through what I call persevering faith. Persevering faith. I wish everything was instant in in life, but I do know this. The Bible says in Hebrews, it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises, and we are told not to cast away our confidence. But I want to kind of tie all this together by simply saying this. There are different 
kinds of storms that we face in life. Let's never be quick to assume that somebody's in a storm because they sinned. Can that be the case? Sure, it can be the case. We all probably have made certain decisions that created consequences, and we, we looked at it, you know, we had to realize not to get under condemnation or wallow in shame or guilt, but just understood that, you know, I made a mistake and there were consequences to that mistake. And thank God, even when we do that, uh, there's forgiveness, there's mercy. There's a verse in Hosea chapter 13, verse 9, where God said to Israel, He said, Oh, Israel, you have destroyed yourself, but in me is your help. And I'll tell you what, if you're here today and you found yourself in a Jonah-type storm, uh, I want you to know, quit running from God and turn around and start running to God. He is not your problem. He is your solution. And there may be other people here today that you feel like you're in a storm of the disciples. You know, you read something in the Bible, God spoke to your heart, and you decided that you were going to obey God in an area, and once you obeyed God, it seemed like all hell broke loose against you. I want you to know the enemy will attack you sometimes because you are in obedience. And because you are doing something that he knows if he doesn't discourage you and discourage you quickly, that if you keep obeying God, you're coming into a realm of great breakthrough and blessing in your life. So, you know, just like why why did that storm come? Maybe that storm came because the devil in that demonized man knew that if Jesus made it to the other side, that he was done. But Jesus had a mission. Jonah had a mission to get to Nineveh. Jesus had a mission to get to the other side. And Paul had a destiny to get to Rome. And and Paul had to persevere. He had to hang in there for a season of time before he saw that breakthrough. But he didn't quit. And he made it to Rome. We can preach this message and, and focus on the storms. But I want to give you this thought in closing. I want you to focus on your destination. Where is God sending you? Now, for most of us, our destination is not a geographical location. For most of us, our destination, the place that God has told us to go to in life, has to do with quality, not location. He's called us to a richer relationship with himself. He's called us to a healthier relationship with our wife, our spouse, our children. He's called us into a more fruitful life of Christian service. He's called us into a more generous life of of giving and stewardship. He's called us into a place of obedience where we're quick to hear his voice and quick to obey. We may not be called to a a geographical Nineveh or a geographical other side or a geographical uh, Rome, but you are called by God to a destination of spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual fruitfulness, abundance, blessing. God's called you to a destination, and the storms that come are typically just distractions to keep you from going 
where God wants you to go from being who God wants you to be and from doing what God wants you to do. We're going to talk tonight when we come here about what is God's plan for your life in the end times. What is the role of believers in the last days? And in order to get to the place where God wants us to be, both individually and corporately, we have to get beyond the distraction of storms. We're going to go through storms getting there, but do not let your life be focused on the storms. Get your life focused on your destination in God of becoming who He wants you to be, doing what He wants you to do, and let the storms simply be things that you get through to get where you're going. I had a lady... I had a lady come to me one time after I shared this message, and she said, Brother Cook, thank you for sharing that message. She said, what do you do if you're in all three storms at once? She said, there's one area of my life where I messed up and made a really bad decision, did some... She said, I'm dealing with consequences from that. She said, there's another area of my life where I feel like the disciples. I feel like I'm doing what Jesus told me to do, and as soon as I decided to obey God, all these problems happened. And there's another area of my life where somebody else made a bad decision and I'm dealing with the consequences of their bad decision. I'm dealing with a a pulse. She says, what do you do when you're dealing with all three storms at once? I said, ma'am, it's very simple. I said, you repent like Jonah, you speak the word like Jesus, and you persevere like Paul. And trust God to give you grace to do it all. And, and, and just keep believing that you're making it to the other side. You're getting to your Nineveh. You're getting to your other side. You're getting to your Rome. How many of you are ready to do that? Let's stand up. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy toward us. Thank you for the plan that you have. Lord, we're not here just simply to survive. Uh, we're here to thrive. Father, we, we certainly go through seasons where surviving is just you know, our, our main priority at the moment. But Father, we thank you that you're leading us to survive and even beyond that as we continue to walk with you into greater maturity and into greater fullness. And Father, I pray for your people because I know, Lord, that there are people here today that are in the midst of storms. There are people here today that are facing challenges. And Father, help us to know, never be like the disciples and never say, God, don't you care that we're perishing? Because, God, these are not perishing. These are are thriving. They're, They're surviving. They're moving on beyond the storm. And, Father, I thank you that you give them hope. I thank you that you give them grace, strength for the journey. I pray that you'll give them wisdom and insight to know how to navigate the specific storms that they are facing today. And, Father, I know some of them, their hearts are breaking because... They've seen other people make bad decisions. They're watching other people suffer. And so, Father, those of us that are dealing with loved ones that concern us, Father, we just cast the care of them upon you. And we thank you that you're not only working in our lives, but you're working in the lives of our loved ones. Father, thank you that you're working in our health. Thank you that you're working in our finances. Thank you that you're giving us peace of mind. Thank you that you're helping us be every bit whole. And Lord, you're giving us wholeness. You're giving us fullness and strength so that we can make it to the other side and fulfill our divine destiny that's there.